Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 346th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's releasing postmodern, post-Malone, million-dollar proxies, you know, to really shake things up. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, ready for another great episode this week. Before we jump in, I do want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on the agenda this week? Well, James, we have our usual four segments, and I'm going to skip ahead to segment four because I'm so excited. There was big changes announced to MTGO, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that in our segment four, but uh, we'll keep it in line here. Segment one, we're going to kick things off with the MTGO Metagame Weekend Review. After that, we're going to talk about segment two, where we talk about the top movers of the week and discuss why we think they saw significant gains. After that, we're going to move on to segment three, our cards to watch, where you and I share our key uh, cards that we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, like I said, segment four, we're going to talk about our topics of the week, which include the big MTGO changes and their potential implications for paper magic, as well as online players. And the big super drop of secret layers. And there is a lot of secret layers to discuss. So with that out of the way, James, why don't we start with our MTGO Metagame Weekend Review. So we kick things off here on Saturday, October 15th with the Modern Showcase Challenge. And indeed, this is the first week uh, post the Yorion ban that was expected to impact the presence of Omnath decks in the format, at least until they figure out new lists. And... Just as expected, there is no Omnath to be found here. So we've got Blue-Red Merktide in 1st, 2nd, and 6th. Not a huge surprise to see that dominating, uh, given that it was utterly unaffected uh, by that ban and and was already a Tier 1 or Tier 0.5 deck to begin with. We've got Black-Red Midrange posting up in 3rd, most notably there, running 4 Lightning Skelemental out of MH1. A card that would have been ridiculously busted 20 years ago, but always surprises me when it shows up in a top eight uh, in modern these days. Yeah, uh, Lightning Skelemental, never been good, but people really want to play it. Um, I'm glad it's seen a little bit more success. It tends to spike something here and there, but uh, I think all the the true gamers out there, uh, you know, realize it's it's a flawed card in some ways, but it's fun. Uh, and it hits hard and it makes you discard, which is always a good time. I will say those Merc Tide lists, you know, it does have, all of them have a couple copies of Blood Moon Main. Uh, two of them have two copies. One of them has one copy uh, plus some sideboard action. And that is, I think, partially in response to Omnath and the four color craziness that was getting out of control. Um, yeah, I think the ban had a little bit to do with it, but I think also just the fact that you know, there's a lot of main board Blood Moons roaming around with uh, Counterspell backup. I think it makes it a little bit tougher for those decks at the moment. 
Uh, and I think that's the most we've seen Merktide in the top eight recently, uh, which is probably partly also because if, if um, Leyline's binding is not showing up, it's a lot harder to answer those Merktide regions. So we've got Black Red Goblins in fourth. They got four Conspicuous Snoop and four Ignoble Hierarch of note in that list. Uh, for Ethervile, uh, of course, as, as per tribal standards in the format. Yogmoth combo, putting up yet another top eight, one of many this year. Four times Eldritch Evolution has my attention there as a card that is going to continue to gain if it keeps dodging a reprint. Blue Red Murktide, as we said, was in sixth. And then Creativity Combo has also been a consistent top eight presence and is in seventh. And then by far the most interesting deck of this top eight is Blue White not Hammer Time. This is an Urza Lord High Artificer brew that has 17 artifacts, three Metallic Rebuke, a Teferi Time Raveler, single copy, three Esper Sentinel, two Ingenious Smith, one Sarah Paragon to do a Lurus impression in the mid game, one Spellskite, four Stoneforge Mystic to have a, a equipment package, uh, including a Sword of the Meek to pair with three Thopter Foundries. The Reality Chip and Urza, quite the brew. So what I want to know is what is Mystic Reflection doing in the sideboard as a one-of? <laughs> that is a card. I have never seen a competitive list in my life. This is one in a blue. Choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planewalkers enter the battle list for a turn, uh, they enter as copies of Chosen Creature, and it has Foretell for one blue uh i'm not sure this whole list it's it's all a bunch of good cards just kind of thrown together uh with urza really i think tightening it up along with stoneforge mystic but yeah interesting brew they got the the thopter foundry uh sort of the meek combo going i'm sure that does a little bit of work plus let's see i wonder if that is something to do with fooling around with creativity putting an archon in play and then you stoneforge either calder complete or nettlesis into play and then you cast Mystic Reflection in response, so you get an Archon too. <laughs> yeah, but couldn't they just be? But couldn't they just be doing that with Orvar since they're already in blue? Yeah, I'd I'd love to talk to the pilot and just be like, "What is going on here?" Very um, curious as to what what that's tech against. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, it has you know the full four times Urza Saga, which uh, we've been seeing a little bit less of lately outside of Hammer Time builds. Good to see that running four times there. And and certainly Thopter Sword is not something we've seen in modern lately either. Yeah, yeah, and, and with it running blue, it's only running the three metallic rebukes as counters, and in the sideboard, there's only two fluster storms. It looks like so, not a lot of protection on that end. It's mostly trying to do its thing and get the win, I guess. Interesting. And it, it, with such a huge artifact package, interesting that there's no uh, Karn Great Creator. Yeah. Also interesting. There's no. Um, Whatever that seven mana creature affinity for artifacts, draw two cards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just yeah, they're value. not playing the affini- the the eight thought affinity game at yeah. all. Yeah, because this even has a couple of um, the Razor Tide Bridge, uh, the artifact indestructible tap land. So it's going heavy into artifact theme. Yep. Mm. All right, so moving over to the Pioneer Challenge. Uh, Nothing too new or exciting over here. This is all pretty much par for the, for the chorus. Blue-red Arclight Phoenix in first. Red Aggro with four Atarka's Command in second. Mono-blue Spirits, I guess, is probably the, the most interesting of the lists here. 
uh, something that has showed up here and there. There's been a lot of Bant spirits with a collected company for the most part. Haven't seen as much Mono Blue. They run four Ascendant Spirit at a Kaldheim as a notable rare. Black Red Midrange in fourth. That deck's not going anywhere. Blue Spirits again in fifth. Uh, Blue White Control in seventh. And Black Red Midrange in eighth. Most interesting deck here, uh, I guess, is the White Black Midrange list that takes elements from the White Humans builds uh, that we've been seeing in Pioneer lately and then seems to play more of a midrangey game. Um, they've got four Karn the Great Creator, uh, two Sky Sovereign Console Flagship, two Elspeth Conquers Death, and four Sarah Paragon in this build. Yeah, the Boris Eric Paragon, I hope it takes off because that card, um, it's it's getting down there a little bit uh, in price. Not crazy low, but it's starting to drop. Um, and I think if it, if it sees any sort of significant Pioneer play combined with the inevitable EDH demand, it could get expensive. Um, the one thing that popped out at me here on the sixth place list, there's three Sky Sovereign, uh, which as you mentioned, two in the main, one in the side. But looking through the challenge overall and just in general sky sovereign's being played more and more i think a lot of people view it as a good way to counter you know just get straight value and and be able to pick off a creature every single turn uh, and some of the decks in the top eight are even running just a full four copies these days and so that's something that i've been keeping my eye on it's getting reprinted in one of the secret layers that we're going to talk about in a moment uh and if it starts seeing a lot of play that could be one that uh for a premium version that people like could be something to watch it's interesting they're running the Elspeth Conquers Death, but can't get it back with the Paragon. But I guess the 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 what Elspeth's Death does do is when they kill the Paragon, it gets back the Paragon, which then starts the whole chain over again with the, all your other cards. Yeah, I can get back Paragon, I can get back Karn, which is obviously right? pretty yep. good. And notable, this is a Urion list, so it is an 80 cards so that they had a little bit more room. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Good point. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool stuff. All right, so moving on over to top paper movers of the week, we've got the Hallowed Fountain borderless uh, non-foil version out of the Infinity regular booster boxes on the move. And in general, there's pressure on all of the the shocks for similar reasons. There's just not that much value to be found in these boxes. And there are relatively few vendors that are brave enough to crack them for value and so given that you can't pull these out of the collector boosters that most of the collectors and, and whales would have been purchasing, there just aren't that many of these around already. And so we see the Hallowed Fountain going 40 to 52 on early gains. Hard to say if that's going to be a early pop and then a drift down for several months, but it's worth keeping your eye on the inventory levels of those because if they keep trending downward, they're going to keep pushing up. Yeah, it was. I wanted to buy a full set of these because I only have a few scattered shocks and some in my decks but i just wanted a full set never have to worry about shocks again and star city games had a full set on sale and i saw that i was like oh great i'll pick it up full set four times of every all 10 shocks was 1400 dollars in non-foil <laughs> and that was basically market i mean that wasn't uh, a deep, deep discount but it was definitely not a premium for being star city games and i said you know i want shocks i don't know if i want them that much so i passed on that for now I mean, for 1400 I can get a pack of 30th edition, open a pure lace, and then buy a real pure lace on the side. I mean, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> why, why are we stretching so hard for value? Bear Escape out of Secret Layer. This is the one with a bunch of uh, naked dudes and an outdoor hot tub that is an all-time classic piece of magic art. 8 to 10, 50, 
for no particular reason other than that everybody wants to own this card because it's funny. Uh, it's not like it's getting specific play anywhere. We've got Bloodthirster out of the 40k decks going from 9 to 13, 44% gains, uh, early speculation and player demand for, you know, yet another red card in Commander that will give you extra combat attack steps. And keep in mind that out of Neon Dynasty, Ishin, who doubles combat triggers, is one of the more popular commanders of the year. So before I move off this card, I'm curious, what's your take right now on on uh, 40k with it being low supply especially the collector's edition do you think these are going up generally speaking over the next six months or do you think they're gonna go down after these kind of initial peaks my collector edition units land tomorrow and i think i will probably i have like three full sets total inbound and i think i will probably sell two within $100 of peak pricing, and then hold the last one for a longer-term play. I don't think that these products, the good products like this that spike early, get worse over time. They just get lost in the shuffle. Like, the one part of the argument that is constantly being put forth, and it seems um, to be a set of arguments that are being driven by ex-Magic Pros, which is a whole separate conversation, um, but this idea that there are too many magic products now is most true from the angle of them having to share mind space over very tight periods. And so things tend to get a lot of attention during the hype cycle, pre-order period, out about two to four weeks after release. And then we're shoved into a new hype cycle so quickly that they just have no room to breathe. And that has a variety of effects on the market. And and one of them is that if they the, those products are limited supply, FOMO kicks in, and this is how we get eight to $800 to $1,000 premium sets of Warhammer 40K. Now, the regular sets, as far as I understand it, there's not another printing coming, but there is another wave um, of distribution that will take place towards the end of October. So I'm not jumping in on any of the non-foils at, at present because I think we're going to get bigger walls of those a little further down the road. But I certainly am keeping my eye on surge foils that seem to be selling at a reasonably brisk pace and represent draining demand. And there are at least 15 or 20 potentially good specs in there to keep an eye on. Fair enough. I need to still do my survey of it and kind of get my eyes wrapped around it because I mean I've been watching it as it comes out but, and we've talked about it a little bit on cast but I haven't watched the reaction since the set released and kind of looked at the original or the current EDH numbers which you know I, I in my opinion you know you usually look at the first week or two a lot of those numbers stick around so I think you can get a pretty good sense right away and then check back in a month and six months and a year and you'll you'll really have your head wrap around that set so then this next one you wanted to flag that uh, Drizzt Dorden, the famous D&D character that has 30 books written about Bedham or whatever. The ampersand promos were showing up in you know harvested price data as going from 450 to 700. But in fact, there are two copies sitting on TCG right now closer to 200. And indeed, I, I look back at my own records. I bought a copy in Europe last summer, just, just about 14 months ago for $98 and sold it this spring for 215 and was proud of that. Nice. And yet now they look like they're headed for whatever. Once those $200 copies dry up, probably three, four, five hundred bucks. 
So I, I well recall the people, the naysayers that said that nobody was going to care about the ampersand promos, but you should never underestimate scarcity <laughs> and and a time-limited release. Yeah, because these are very scarce, right? I mean, I know you looked at the numbers at one point, but they're very scarce. They're very, very scarce because, like, I think it was only WPM premium stores that got one or two sets or something. So there were single-digit thousands of these in the world. Yeah. And anytime you have distribution that is both time-limited, time-boxed, and uh, doesn't go through core distribution and doesn't go through Amazon, you have a unique situation that you need to pay attention to. Uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. So, Court of Calling, original foils from Ravnica, 42 to 76. Yogmoth runs this in modern, right? Uh, yeah, generally speaking. You also see it in primetime builds? Am I off there? Mm, no, def- not in primetime, but you no, do see it were- in elves. Um, it's in elves. Yeah, elves, and, elf ball decks, yeah, sure. And, you know, things like that, where you're just kind of get a spray of creatures and you want a toolbox type of setup. Right. Orvar, the all-form, the sideboard tech against uh, Indomitable Creativity, pulling out an Archon, 7-14 to 14 this week. Uh, pretty funny seeing a mythic EDH-designated card show up as this si- this weird left-field sideboard tech right. and then take off, take off as a spec. Anybody who was disappointed in their Kaldhyba opens has a little bit less salt to spread on the wounds now that they can dump ore of ours for somewhere between five and fifteen dollars especially since it never made it in edh for the most part i mean 6600 decks it's it's okay. relevant in things like it's relevant in things like ivy and and some other decks yeah. that care about these this kind of trickery but right and as a commander uh, of course because i think uh it's in six thousand commander it's as a commander almost six thousand which is almost identical to the number of decks it's in as in general as a card so i think it's more important as a commander than anything else this next one's interesting. This is one of the Dominaria United Commander cards where the foil-etched version is only available in the CBs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Savitri Dragonmaster is a dragon planeswalker that can be your commander. The plus one is until your next turn, creatures can't attack you or planeswalkers you control unless their controller, controller pays two life for each of those creatures. So it's got a bit of a propaganda rattlesnake effect minus three search your library for a dragon card reveal it put in your hand then shuffle minus seven destroy all non-dragon creatures but the thing here with this card is that it's blue black in most dragon decks be it tiamat or um the ur dragon typically want to be five color to have access to all their best dragons so this never really struck me as being all that interesting of a commander and indeed if we look at edh rex past month Looking at the top 20, we do not see this card breaking in at all. And even if we go all the way down to top 40, it's not there. So I'm, I'm curious as to whether somebody tried to make a move on this card or there's just some latent casual demand that's not getting picked up from other angles. Yeah, I mean, maybe somebody just looked at it and said, well, at some point it might be good. It's a mythic, which... Of course, I'm not sure how the drop rates were on this, but I mean, it means that it's less likely to be reprinted it's dragons which people like uh, maybe just took a i'd be willing to bet this it. card goes 10 years without a reprint oh uh, yeah i would i would assume so because i mean you can only reprint something that says you know that a planeswalker can be your commander in so many products and this is not going to be a high priority yeah and that's the thing that i think a lot of people are missing about if you have legendary creatures that get activated by some future card. So think about all these 
uh, legends that are associated with Dominaria United's product release. The If they get activated by some future card and form a combo and are just generally good cards, they have a decent potential to take off, especially if they're Mythics, because they're going to be such low-priority reprints. Yeah, yeah. on its face, this is a four-mana tutor for your best dragon that you need at the time. I mean, that's that's the the floor of this. That's fine. Yep, it's gonna make it makes it in in the dragon decks that exist, and they are popular decks. Like Ur Dragon is top three after Joda and Lathril for the month. So you know, that could be what's driving the Savichu demand is people just putting it into into their Ur Dragon deck. Miriam is the other one, but that in fifth. But Miriam is teamer color, so you can't run it there. Moving along, we've got Atarka's Command etched out of double feature. Early gains there, $4 to $9. That That's not... Uh, I've got Ivy Movement in the sheet. That's a different card. Uh, this is because of the mono-red slash Atarka's Command deck in Pioneer, yeah? Uh, I believe so. Also, it just must be tremendously low supply, supply because right now there are only six listings on TCG Player. So I think it's a mixture of it that. It seems and... like it's been targeted into this position yeah. then based on the based on the success in Pioneer. Let's look at the sales history. I mean, the sales are not... It doesn't look like it got bought out or anything. Cause it's, it looks like slow and steady over... Uh, yeah, no, I take that back. So it looks like on 10.10, there was a very big number of sold. Not crazy, but it looks like somebody went after them. Yeah, and of course, one of the things that I've pointed out to Cassie over at TCG in the past, um, but haven't seen her comment on in in public in her articles, is that you can't necessarily flag a buyout attempt or a heavy heavy pressure from a vendor slash speculator by just looking at big orders where they check out twenty copies at a time. Sometimes you got to see. Sometimes when there's twenty individual sales per day. That is the equivalent. They were all in the same cart, but they went through TCG Direct, yeah. and so they show up as 20 separate sales, right? Yep, 100%. Um, and honestly, if you're looking to not spike the market and just get a lot of copies and not spook it, I mean, buying over time is not a bad way to do it. But, um, you know, I think most people are kind of like in and out, that's it. And so, yeah, like you said, they put all the copies they want in their cart, they check out. All of a sudden, it goes from 50 vendors to 20, and you know people see that and see the price movement on MTG stocks or something, and then say, "Oh, let's you know let's clean out the last little bit." And so you can see here, like I said, the 10th hit a lot of movement of cards from uh, three dollars to four dollars roughly, and then since then, people have been kind of playing mop up, and now they're selling for 750 roughly. Um, so it's definitely up, but no matter of whether the market can actually bear that price, because somebody's going to get all those copies, presumably put them back on the market, create a wall, and then everything will start filling in below it, keep pressure in the price down unless the demand is real. This, uh, this one is also weird and looks like it's under pressure. Thermokarst out of Ice Age. This just says destroy target land for three mana, and if the land was snow covered, gain a life. Why on earth is anyone going after this? <laughs> I have no clue. Because look look at the sales pattern on this. It's ridiculous. There's no way that's all selling. That's There's no way that's natural demand. It sold like 30 or 40 copies in the last handful of days. Oh, yeah. And they're even buying damaged HP. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Why? Why? 
<laughs> this pattern always strikes me as like the Rudy-esque approach to magic where it's a pure supply play where they just look at they've just been going through the old foils like your invasion block foils your odyssey block foils and they have been slowly steadily chipping away at those opportunistically buying them up when there's very low supply and then trying to repost them at higher plateaus and and waiting for the the like one in a thousand person that cares enough about that card presumably for the sake of completing a collection or something right like this has to be a play on people will want full sets of Ice Age as a nostalgia play, but I just... Right, they're looking 10 years out, I would think, because... I, I never get pulled into these things, because to me, yeah, it feels it feels long-term, it feels scammy, Yeah, it's silly, because there's no inherent demand associated with it. I don't like being... I don't like resting the laurels of a spec on the idea of the greater fool. <laughs> Yeah. If the only reason to buy it is the greater fool theory, I'm not in. Well, my guess is that their their logic is Watsi doesn't want land destruction anymore. And on top of that, land destruction's only in red or or black, I guess, for snowlands. And it's definitely not in green. And so this is kind of like one of those it'll never get reprinted again, most likely, because I'm assuming this isn't reserve list. And but like nobody's in, nobody's playing this in cube or anything, and it's not an EDH card. It's in 165 decks, which is probably <laughs> just 165 people making a mistake. That's funny. So yeah, it's a nothing uh, card. Yeah, it's terrible. Don't don't do this. <laughs> There's there is infinitely better ways to spend your money than to buy a random card that will never see play in hopes that maybe one day it might. Undying Malice at a double feature. Dollar to two fifty. Hard to make money on something like that, but this is people going after the most uh, the lowest supply version of a black red scam card. And there's also white black scam lists that I've seen lately. Uh, and Spike has been fooling around with a variety of configurations. Keen Sense foils out of Time Spiral remastered. Uh, these are not old border; they're just foils uh, of a card that hadn't had a copy in many moons before that. And it's Ivy uh, being, I believe, still in the top 10 for EDH rec. Let me just double check how she's doing this month. Ivy is currently in sixth place with 1,360 decks registered in the last 30 days. Um, so that would be Keen Sense, making a little more sense than Thermocarst. And then we've got Night Shift of the Living Dead Galaxy Foil. And actually quite a few of the Galaxy Foils have been under pressure as people take place their bets kind of feels like a roulette table over in that section of tcg player where people are going this is this is going to see more play people people are sleeping on this card in this particular case it's three and a black for an enchantment it's an uncommon after you roll a die you may pay one life if you do increase or decrease the result by one do this only once each turn and if you roll a six create a two two black zombie employee creature token so the play here is you're betting that A, they're never going to reprint this card, which is probably true, and B, that they are going to keep giving us D&D-related cards that care about dice mechanics and that EDH, eventually some dice-based commander will take a firm grip on the market and cards like this will be sought after because gal- Galaxy Foils have a very low drop rate. You know, if this card was two mana... I'd be more okay with this play. This is just a bad card. I mean, you have to pay four to then on, what, your third or fourth turn be able to adjust a die one way? Like, 
even if you have, I may, I, I'm assuming it still makes the cut because there's not that many dice uh, cards, but this is just a bad card. This next one is going to be absolute shit show to ever look up anywhere. <laughs> it's blank goblin, literally. So I don't even know what you're supposed to type into EDH rec to find said card. Easiest way is probably to go all sets and then click on infinity and check play patterns. This thing is not really showing up in the top 20 cards according to here. So I'm assuming that people people are looking at this as a legacy card. This is two and a red for a 2-2, Goblin Guest. When this creature enters the battlefield, you may put a name sticker on it. That's, you know, why it's blank Goblin, because you get to put its first name on the card. Then you add a red to your mana pool for each unique vowel on that sticker. The vowels are A, E, I, O, U, and Y, which gives you potentially six mana for three mana, and it's a better seething song that comes with a 2-2 body. So Ben over at Star City tweeted about this. His take was, so he says, any given uh, Galaxy Foil common shows up approximately one in 25 collector boxes. And that it a playset represents a hundred collector boxes open, and so they are genuinely scarce. And that was why he uh, thought that this was of interest. Cool and true, great. the The stats, as I said, the they do drop uh, infrequently. However, you still have to have a reason to be pursuing the card. In this particular right. case, it's insanely annoying to fool around with these stickers like you you and i looked at a picture <laughs> a few days back of some legacy tournament where there was a bunch of stickers on somebody's sleeve and it's just like why yeah, just obnoxious <laughs> why, why like subject people to this really like some goof that's playing across from you is gonna pick up your card and want to like check the stickers or they're gonna put a sticker on on your sleeves and just keep that nonsense out of competitive magic please like it's it's such kitchen table nonsense, and yet, in as I said in the Discord a while back, any cards that are like this, where you have to have a separate piece of information to recognize the power potential power of the card, you need to know which what the highest number of vowels in one of the available stickers on the sticker sheet is, and you also have to understand the mechanic where it is basically you're allowed to carry around as many of these stickers as you want, so it's always going to be all six vowels. So it's always going to be a 2-2 goblin that makes six mana. Right. And so once you know that, like if the card just said, if it was just called word goblin, and it just said, you know, when this comes into play, make six red, everybody would have been more excited about it right up front. But it takes those extra steps of interpretation. And then apparently, I think one of the stickers is the word mind. So that means you can name this mind goblin. And you only get one vowel, but you get a thousand percent meme points. <laughs> oh, what a disaster! Please don't play these. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to have to learn any stickers in my entire life. I went this far without having to. Please don't make me. <laughs> I'm just going back to the un- the infinity, the booster breakdown. The reason Ben's saying that is there is only one slot in the CBs for galaxy foil commons or uncommons 
And so it's the total number of commons and the total number of uncommons, and presumably the relative rarity between commons and uncommons is as per normal. Mm-hmm. But because it's only one slot and not, say, two or three or four slots, he's right. They're extremely rare. Hmm. Crazy. He- heading up the top paper movers of the week, we've got Edgelord favorite Earthbind. This ha- is on uh, Wizard's banned list to never reprint in terms of using the art because it has this kind of like old school, slightly edgy S&M vibe to it that could be interpreted as sexual violence. And as such, no reason to argue for it to stay. And so on the knowledge that this will never be used again, everyone's trying to corner the market on Earthbind so they can sell them on to people that want them. Why? Yeah. I, you know there's somebody out there that just loved this card and had like several graded copies that they just adored. And now they're just pumping their fists like, I, don't, I got it right, apparently. <laughs> From 50 cents to five. Uh, if you can, un- if the buy list for this shows up, unload them, then you uh, don't have to worry about feeling guilty about them. You don't have to deal with them anymore. Let the greater fool take that on for you. I'm, I'm more thinking of the person with the uh, alpha copies that are not cheap. Looks like around s- currently eh, four to 700. Well, I mean, it's funny because Earthbind is less likely to see a reprint than Black Lotus at this point. Yeah sad i mean well not not sad i guess because i i agree i mean this is one of those art choices that of bannings i'm i'm okay with like there's no reason for this in a in in the game i mean it doesn't add any value but i i mean i would argue they're they're one of the things that i always think is strange about western culture and this is both a u.s and canada thing is the obsession over the 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 excess titillation over sex and the underwhelming response to true violence. Sure. <laughs> like, there are so many magic cards that depict much worse situations for the person having the spell cast upon them <laughs> than we witness in Earthbind, right? Agreed. There are people being obliterated in a trillion different ways, melted in acid, burned to a crisp, thrown into volcanoes, Jaya getting, Ballard getting thrown off a, a, a cliff by a Johnny. And so on and so on and so on. So, uh, yeah, the Earthbind one is is a little, a little odd, but I can understand how it's awkward, and I certainly will lose no sleep over its banning. Also, can I just say before I move on that the card art makes no sense in my opinion to the, what the card does. Well, at least half of the card. So half of the card is creatures lose flying. Makes sense. Creatures bound to the ground. But then it, it also does two damage to a target flying creature. Like, I don't... It hurts to get tied up. I guess, apparently. I don't... It seems weird. It seems like they were like, put put a creature on the ground, and they gave that art direction, and they just came up with this. Because back in the day, they didn't give a lot of direction to the Oh, artists. this this could have been art that was sitting around. Oh, that yeah. just got sold to Wizards at the time. But I will say that the, you're bringing my attention to the card text actually reinforces why it's a problematic card because you're you can't make the argument that it's that it's consensual when it's in fact not consensual by definition of the card and and is doing two damage, which is plenty enough to kill most humans in the game. So 
Moving on to top Magic Online movies of the week. Tell me what's up over there. All right. So first one, we have Grinding Station going from 350 to 650 for close to 100% gain. And this is really on the back of the Spiring Spike. Uh, I think Mangucci's been playing it too, where you're comboing off with Mox Amber, either milling your whole deck and playing a Thassa's Oracle or doing a Grape Shot for the kill. Um, and, you know, this is uh, one of the only modern cards on the list. I guess over two. So... Uh, but, you know, this overall, I'd say Pioneer has been where more of the movement has been uh, over the last week or so. Uh, next up, Asika's Chariot, uh, which has been on the list before, going from 650 to 1280 uh, for, again, close to 100% gain. And this is just the fact that the uh, Reanimator decks run this, and it's been doing very, very well. It's just a solid, consistent performer where either you're dumping this yard and you're reanimating it with Greasefang, or you're... Uh, just playing it for value on turn four. Uh, so doing well. Uh, continue to see progress there. Uh, next up is a repeat from last week. Ovar the All Forum, which also moved in paper. Uh, this time going from seven to 14. Uh, I think last week it was about a buck or a buck 50. Let me look. So it was a buck 80 last week. So in two weeks, it's went from a buck 80 to about 14 uh, for very big gains over the last couple weeks. And here again, it's uh, sideboard tech to combat Archon of Cruelty, where you pitch this to Archon and then be able to put in your own Archon to kill their Archon. Very, very interesting uh, and unexpected. Uh, and finally, Lair of the Hydra from AFR, going from 550 to 1450 for a pretty significant, about 150% gain. Uh, I assume this is just coming from the mono green shell, uh, which sees you know significant amount of play. That said, the Pioneer format is so diverse right now. Uh, I played and qualified for the Mana Trader series over the weekend, played about 15 matches, and I never ran into Mono Green, even though it's a very prominent deck. So a lot of diversity in Pioneer. Mono Green's definitely not the be-it-end-all over there, but definitely showing some movements in the price this week. I always love on Arena when they attack me with one of these new creature lands and I get to Fatal Push it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Or uh, March of the March Otherworldly. of Otherworldly Light. Yeah, so yeah I play both great. in my deck. Yeah. yeah, always feels good. Let let them pump it up nice and big, and then nail it. And take their whole turn. Mm-hmm. Tasty, with, tasty, tasty, tasty. And Lair of the Hydra is great in the green shell because if you get the Chain Veil in and you're able to kind of combo off and get you know unlimited mana or close to it, then you can just pump it, make it huge. Give away. Does it have trample? I can't remember. I don't, no, I don't think so. Not. But I, I think that deck has some ways sometimes to give a trample. But you can have a pretty good finisher there. Uh, you know, at least not an insignificant number of times. All right, moving on over to segment three: cards to watch. What's on your radar this week? Sure. So I have a, a retread from Travis's pick actually in December 2020, which is. Valakut Awakening. Uh, it's been you know, almost two years since then. Travis picked it to go from 6 to 20, uh, and currently it's sitting around... Oh, I moved. I didn't update the price. Uh, so it's sitting around eight bucks, eight nine dollars in the U.S. currently, uh, with an okay amount of supply. But this is a very well played card in EDH. So it's seventy seven thousand decks, uh, and you know, I mean, this is a very unique effect where you can play it as a tap land, or you can use it for you know whatever's one red and two colorless to cycle through your uh, cards in hand, any ones that you want, plus the for replacing itself. And so a very powerful effect with very limited downside. 
and what made me kind of look at this this week is that the non-foil, just basic versions are getting up to about $6. And so having the premium version, you know, be not much above that, uh, you know, kind of triggered me and said, well, we probably should take a, a second look at this. And so there's still 70 or so vendors on TCG Player, uh, so it's no rush but i do think these things are going to start hollowing out as people you know look at the six dollar regular version and say oh i can get that premium version for you know a couple bucks more i'll pick that up and once they're gone i think they're going to be uh gone because there's not a lot of big walls on this honestly just full disclosure i am a big wall i've had a big wall for a while but i'm at like thirty dollars because i'm a true believer so i am not the competition at that eight dollar price point so one of the, the cards that I think is a, a solid analog here from an EDH perspective is Thassa's Oracle out of Theros Beyond uh, Death, which would have been, I think, eight months prior to the release of Zenikar Rising, if I've got my Sounds got right. my schedule straight. And Thassa's Oracle has burned down to four or five copies near mint in foil extended art left on TCG Player. And last I checked, it's pushing $100 or something like that. And they have very similar profiles on EDH rec. They're both in both in the mid seventy thousands. Now, we do know from industry data around the release of Zendikar Rising that they Wizards in theory printed ten to fifteen percent more of that set in anticipation of the expedition box toppers being very popular than they had done to date of CBs. Now it's hard to gauge where that lands us. Uh, versus all the CBs and premium products that have come thereafter. But we can certainly say that we all observed uh, on the MTG finance side of things that ZNR specs have been slow burns. You know, my thieving skydivers have never gone anywhere. They're still languishing in the 4 or $5 range. All of the uh, flip mythic lands um, have done pretty well, but it took a while to get there. Valakut Awakening has been on everybody's radar almost since the start as kind of a weaker wheel. I do see it played all the time in EDH, not just in Nekasar decks, but in red decks in general, just to fix hands and advance the agenda. See it in five color decks for similar purposes. And I'm a believer in this spec as much now as I was when Travis uh, first outlined it, but it's worth noting we're almost two years from that call and it basically went nowhere. And we're still at 70 listings, so is this a card that will one day be worth as much as Thassa's Oracle foil extended arts? Probably not. Uh, it just seems like there's more of them around, but is it going to be a, you're saying 15 here is I'm saying like, is it going to be a 20 or $30 card at some point? Yes. It's just going to take time to drain out. There are still little walls of three and four copies and vendor hands all over the place. I see some pro traders on this list of TCG sellers. And 70 listings doesn't mean that the turning of the corner is imminent. So this is the kind of card where I would put it on my radar to keep an eye on number of listings and nibble at pieces, you know, pick up a few copies a month kind of thing over some period of time. And I would guess that you're probably not going to get there in six months, but you might get there in 12 to 18 so are you somebody that can come back to rebuy? So uh, put it this way, for for me, particularly because I've been really busy at work and things like that, I'm like a get in, get out, buy my brick, hope for the best, and you know maybe buy a second brick way down the way. But I don't, I don't ever, once I buy a card, I pick however many I want, 
I buy it, and then I don't think about it again until I'm doing my tracking and pricing. So are you somebody that kind of nibbles here and there? I, I am. Like, for instance, the theming skydiver example that I brought up many times. I've gone to the well on that at least four or five times, because every time I play that card in EDH, it's extremely good. Like, it, it just, it's definitely more than a $5 foil extended art rare. And... One of the similarities between a few of the different cards in this set is because they reference things on Zendikar, like Valakut is a place on Zendikar, you aren't going to see this reprinted in Dominaria Remastered this winter. It's not going to show up in the Lord of the Rings set. It could be a secret layer, but that's, you know, that's the ever-present threat for everything, and not everything can be a secret layer. Like... What seems to be more more of a risk with Secret Layers is the very popular EDH cards catch relatively regular Secret Layer appearances. So your things like a Swords to Plowshares is going to get a once or twice a year printing. But a lot of the other stuff will be, yeah, at some point this will be a Secret Layer, but then those will probably be specs too. The, the, what, you would, what you're hoping for is that these get a chance to mature before that happens. And... And so to me, it's just a, a waiting game where, I mean, one of the things is I have a rolling list of cards that I have my eye on and I kind of like move them from into priority tiers based on like where their inventory is headed. If it's starting to build, I put it on a lower, lower priority tier. And if it's draining hard, then it moves to the higher tier. I also am the kind of person that across two or three monitors, I'm running 200 plus tabs across multiple browser instances. So... <laughs> Well, and I will say, I mean, the one thing that's changed my patterns over time, and we'll have to talk more about this in depth at some point, is being able to use TCG Player Direct's buy list, uh, because that allows me to sort of do that nibble where I can put eight on my buy list, let them, you know, fill or not, and relook at it every, you know, either day or week or whatever when I have it active. And that's something that previously I wouldn't do because I didn't want to have a card come in here and there. I just wanted to get it done and over with. But if I'm not touching the card, it makes it a lot easier. So obviously that's not accessible to everyone. But um, for those that have access to it, it is an interesting model that gets you cards at a lower price and without having to touch them, which saves you time. Oh, it's a total game changer versus where think what opportunities were available, say, 10 years ago, where guys were trying to sneak around on show floors at GPs and operate without vendor licenses and we're constantly getting kicked out of the hall for being professional backpack grinders and you compare that to say buying collections on facebook where it's just endless hassles with jackalopes like oh yeah i won't saying, do hey 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 is that two thousand dollar case of cards available yeah okay cool cool did you want it oh <laughs> uh, let me get back to you let me get back to you <laughs> like 100 percent that that anyone who's ever sold on Facebook is all too familiar with. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, one of the big advantages of being a director SIP seller, that access to get to buy lists just like the pros do, is, is absolutely a great way to get in on a card like this, where if you think it's going to show growth, but the growth might be slower, you don't really love it at eight, but maybe you would pick it up on a buy list at five. Good to go. Yeah. However, I've got some very low supply things on my mind, given what we saw uh, in the uh, cards, the fast movers this week. I was looking again, going back and looking at ampersand promos, because when we when Drizzt showed up on the radar this week, I took note of how much money I made there and how much le- I left on the table, which is also worth reflecting on. Some people never think about cards again once they're sold, but I do like to keep track sometimes of 
Sometimes I'm like I was offered eighty two this week on a foil extended art Thassa's Oracle. Speaking of which, and rejected it because I think that that is a solid hundred to one hundred and twenty dollar card uh, moving forward. And I've turned down at least six offers over seven hundred dollars for my German foil extended art Jeweled Lotus this year, despite the fact that I would not be surprised to see a reprint of that card in the next year or so. So. I'm looking at the ampersand cards again. A couple of them that have uh, drawn my attention include the Hall of Storm Giants ampersand, uh, which is one of the other creature lands alongside the Lair of the Hydra. And the Hall of Storm Giants is pretty consistently played in Pioneer and does show up, uh, I think, as maybe a one-of in the blue-white control decks in Modern sees a reasonable amount of EDH play. It's in 8,500 decks so far. And these are already about $100 for the ampersand foil promos on TCG Player. They peaked several months ago up near 130, 140 when people were paying more attention to these cards after climbing real fast over the course of about nine months from 40 to 140. And then they've trickled back down towards 100. But you can't call that a failure because there's only 11 listings left so all you really need here is for you know 15 or 20 more collectors to outpace the ability for buy list restock and these are going to be 120 130 cards and we know that what the potential is like for the the high demand ampersand cards because we've seen things like drizzit start to push towards 300 400 500 tiamat the same kind of deal and I'm calling this one out to be picked up in Europe, where there are still a couple of handfuls around $80, including shipping. So it's like 70 euros plus your local shipping in Europe. Then you got to bounce it over or whatever with the rest of your packages. And if you have that kind of access, I think to snap a few copies off, not super, go super deep, but like get the ones you might want for decks or whatever, and then treat them like playable specs that you'll pull back out when you notice it on a price list topping 150 or something down the road. Get them 20 bucks cheaper than the U.S., look to get 50% gains minus fees and shipping, and I think you'd be doing just fine. Yeah, if you get an 80 bucks, I mean, the the most recent sale plus and same, similar to the one listed is 95 So even after selling and shipping, you're basically breaking even at 80 So as long as you only get, you know, a couple copies, uh, you know, it's pretty low risk. Uh, obviously, it could keep going down in price i think part of the reason it has been fading a little bit um from it looks like its peak was in april may is that uh blue white control and pioneer has been doing less well um it's still in the meta it still tops eights but it's it's not been consistently a top performer uh and similarly in modern and so i think that com- competitive demand is important for this card because is does the cedh play I'm yeah, 8,500 sure. decks so far. I'm, okay. not, I'm not not actually convinced that this is... that I think the constructed play for this card is... For this version of the card is gravy. But I suspect it's just collectors that buy these. It's guys like my dad that want full sets of everything and eventually track these down as little projects where they like buy a couple of ampersands here and there and they yeah. eventually finish the set and put it in a binder and put it on the shelf. And then they never, they never come out again. Competitive players either like the very basic version, the non-foil, as cheap as you can get it, or they like the the higher-end foils. Uh, this is very high-end foil, and so it's somebody that really wants to have an all-foil, you know, for example, modern deck that's 
$4,000 that they can show off at their Friday Night Magic. Um, you know, I, there are some of those players out there, especially for control players. Um, I don't know what it is, but control players tend to uh, make their decks look very pretty. Um, maybe because they don't change much. That could be part of it. Your, you know, your control deck is just tweaks around the edges depending on the meta for the most part. Control players are also trying to represent their superiority as we've we've all witnessed it I at mean, our local fnms i'm sure they they are superior i can say <laughs> as a control player so i may as well do my other one since it's in, along the same lines with similar logic teleportation circle ampersand promo can be had for a lot cheaper about 30 bucks or so somewhere between 30 and 35 and there's only eight listings left on tcg player eight and they range from 30 to 50 dollars and this is in 26,000 EDH decks, not 8,000. Tiny, tiny inventory, very broad, open-ended synergy as a blink effect that you can use once per turn during your end step. It's an enchantment. People never pack enough enchantment removal in EDH, and often they're not going to kill this. They're going to kill somebody's Rhystic Study or their Necropotence or their No Mercy, and this thing is going to get to do what it does. So I'm calling this to go 35 to 55 or 60 within a year, and that seems very likely to take place. It doesn't look like... So there's an extended our version of this, uh, but it doesn't look like it's really any competition because it's only $4, so yeah. clearly people aren't. <clears throat> and, and that's what... And that's what... And that's what represent like, signals to me that this is not as much an EDH spec as it's probably a collector spec. Because if, it, if that, you know... 26,000 EDH rec for teleportation circle was representative of EDH demand and people were looking for premium copies of this card. <clears throat> the foil extended arts should be more than four bucks. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I defer to you on this one. This is the first time I have heard of this card, honestly. So I, I don't have too strong of feelings. Let, let, let's talk about your last one first. Cause I'm stunned. You put this on the list, given your proclivities in this department. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, you know me, I don't really like uncommons, uh, but this is, in particular, basically um, anything above current retail is gravy because you're already baking in a profit. So I put on my last, well, it's kind of a bonus, and I have one other, so an offer you can't refuse, uh, which is, of course, the uncommon one blue counter uh, something, non, uh, basically negate, but gives your opponent some treasure tokens. And uh, this is in 57,000 EDH direct decks, and it is a street of new Capenna card. So it has barely been out for, what, six months or so? Eight months? I don't know. Time goes by too fast. But not even a year. Like and six is, months. Yeah, six months. And so, I mean, this is on track to be an absolute all-star. And so there's a couple, ver there's the normal version, and then there's this uh, promo kind of, uh, it's in the promo packs, right? Um I looked it up before. Now I can't remember the actual name of them. Yeah, these are LGS distributed only. Yeah, so the supply, uh, you know, it's not insignificant, but it's not huge. And the, the, the price has kind of, at least in the U.S., has went from, you know, about 10 previously down to about 7. It's plateaued there, 7 or 8. Uh, but I looked, and in Europe, these are available for about 3 bucks, uh, the promo foils. And... 
at three bucks, you know, you could buy them. Obviously, uh, these are kind of onesie twosie type of pricing, and so you can't just you know lop off a whole brick and send it to the U.S. But as you're buying things, you can pick them up, uh, add them to your card as kind of add-on extras, and be able to flip them right away in the U.S. for seven fifty, make a couple bucks profit. Not too bad. And I think if you hold these, you're probably on track to get to fifteen. So that would be my pick: is pick these up for under cost in Europe, uh, hold them for a little bit, and then sell them out at fifteen. Um, I think when travel or when uh, you picked it, it was episode three twenty seven. So pretty recently, uh, going from uh, starting at ten, I think to twenty, I believe. So. Um, I think those are still yep. on track to do that. Um, they're down just slightly from that, but I think they're they're on their way back up. Um, and you know, the, the question mark here is, which is why I don't invest in uncommons. Generally speaking, is that they're too easy to reprint. And so, you know, in, in a month or two from now, they could put out a new promo for you know, insert any promotion and just throw this in there, and it would crush the value of of this in the short term. Long term, who knows? But um, you look at uh, some of the other similar related promos with very big demand and you know if there's a if there's a lot out there either in quantity or in competition they just don't grow as well and so this needs some breathing room but i think at a three dollar european price point you basically can't lose i agree with the pick because you can get it three dollars there is some counter data I actually looked at this again, went back and looked at this pick of mine you're referencing from early June, uh, two weeks ago, when I was doing my research, because I was just scanning back to see what I had selected for the last six months or so. And what jumped out at me is, on that cast, I said, well, you know, Expressive Iterations promo pack foil from the year before got up to 25 or so, which it did indeed, it actually got up almost to 30 in late April, but has since trailed down, 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 despite seeing tons of uh, play. Now, of course, Expressive caught a ban. Was that Pioneer? Uh, Pioneer, yes. Pioneer, and it should be banned in Legacy, but it's not. And it's and it's legal in Modern still. Correct. Is that correct? I think so. Let me check. Uh, Pretty sure it's played Yamnath, yeah. Yeah, it's still legal. So, yeah, it's, it's banned in Pioneer. Yeah. So that's probably what has led to the Expressive Iterations falling off. But Expressive Iteration had a much stronger overall demand profile from Modern and Pioneer needing often four copies apiece because Merktide runs four in, in Modern. Um, the other card I looked at as an analog then was Dovin's Veto. Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking of too. It 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 has the same promo foil, but those were sitting have been languishing for quite some time because they got up to about seven in April and have since fallen back down to five. And there is a hundred and fifteen listings near mint. We're looking at sixty one. So I worry that offer an offer you can't refuse is going to behave more like Dovin's veto than it will like expressive iteration. Now, uh a case can be made that offer is an S tier EDH card and that these promo foils are already at a lower listing count than the Dovin's Vetoes are. You can also point out that Dovin's Veto caught along the way in the last couple of years the Time Spiral remastered Old Border foil printing, which may have undercut the promo somewhat. So I, I looked at this too. I think 
My assumption is because these are coming from Probo packs, whereas the other one was Friday Night Magic, that the supply is just infinitely greater on Dovid's Veto. Um, that makes sense. You know, I mean, everyone I don't know about infinitely greater, be, but it is greater. Yeah, and so, um, you know, and it's, it, it is also a risk that if these promos, I, I you know, honestly, it's a $3 card. I don't care where they come from because the risk is so low. If it was $30, I'd be looking more into it and saying, where are they coming from? Is there potential for more supply? If a mass crack job happens, but at $3, who cares, honestly? Yep, I, I- I'm with you. At three at three dollars, I think it's a no-brainer. And I'll say this as well. This card is excellent in EDH. I'm always happy to have it in hand. It always does what it's supposed to do. I almost never care that they got the treasures. Cause, you know, you're often somebody Jota cascades into something nasty and they already have ten mana. You don't care about giving them two more treasure. Well, and honestly, like think about a three mana counter spell versus a two mana counter spell. And then you're going from two to one. I mean, yeah. it is, they're not even close to each other. And obviously, two mana counter spells are pretty broadly applicable. Great card. $3 is a no-brainer. Tell me about your last pick. All right. So my last pick is inspired by one of my best uh, profit margins of the last year. So to preface this, I got into Gemstone Cavern Foils from Time Spiral Remastered. Uh, at about 50, I want to say in Europe, and I was able to outlo- uh, sell those off for about 150 on TCG Player and burned through about a dozen of them. So it was very good. And so I took that logic and looked at other mythic foils uh, within Time Spell Remastered. And we've talked about some on the cast like Slivers, uh, but one that uh, I actually didn't check the sheet, but I'm assuming you haven't talked about before, honestly, is uh, Vesuva, which is, of course, the land that clones other lands. Um, you know, it, it doesn't see as much EDH play. It's about a third of the play as Gemstone Caverns. Uh, but the price is very reasonable. It's only 20 bucks for the foils, uh, for a foil mythic with reasonable play patterns and the potential for competitive uh, play. You know, it's seen play in the past, usually is one or two of. Uh, but, you know, as the meta changes, if Amulet maybe gets more... Uh, more uh, on the front end and paper play comes back yeah i think you could see that also contribute to this and so i have it going from a slow burn of twenty dollars to forty dollars um it can't get too much higher than that without moving the older copies uh, which are the original foils are only about fifty sixty dollars and so uh, this is kind of i think the barrier and of course if this moves up then the old foils might move up which could reassess that high ceiling but i think going from 20 to 40 for these uh, seems like a no-brainer it's a, a mythic it's a land it makes it uh, relatively hard to reprint i mean they, they will do it um, but in foil uh, at a mythic i think it's going to be a little while i don't think it'll be a top priority um so that's where i'm at what do you think it's got it's got a printing in the list so they don't feel any particular compunction to give us more copies um other than that it's only ever been in time spiral time spiral remastered and from the vault realms there's some chance that it could show up in dominaria united because this is a dominaria land if i'm not mistaken but if it dodges that it's probably safe for for most of the year and I, and I guess the, the most important thing that I didn't mention is there's only 18 listings. Um, yeah, that yeah, might that's, be that, art- that's the key. That might be artificially low because there are no TCG player direct listings currently, meaning TCG player is out of stock. So all the major vendors that use their storage and things like that uh, aren't reflected. So once those come back online, I think you'd have to reassess how many copies are really in the market. But either way, I think it's probably a low, relatively low supply. 
Time Spiral Remastered is one of the lowest print run sets the last three years. Yeah. So, yeah, this looks this looks like the right time for the right card, and you're just hoping to dodge a reprint. So far, for the next, like, up until Dominaria Remastered, there's no real risk profile. So if you snapped off a few copies, you're just kind of crossing your fingers on that potential uh, problem. And otherwise, you should be good to go. Um, all right, so let's move along to topics of the week. We've got an October super drop from Secret Layer to assess here. This one has a whole lot going on. And I guess the the quick take is this is a very medium set of drops. However, there are a couple of things here I'm suspicious of. The first one, I guess first we should we should note that they had... They have giveth and then they have taketh away. And what I'm referring to is that as of the last super drop, there was an option to basically build your own bundle. Traditionally with secret layers, you have had to buy one of everything, either in foil or non-foil, to get a usually somewhere in a like 13 to 18% discount um, based on my, my prior analysis. And on the last super drop, everybody was very excited to see that you just got it on volume. So like past a certain price point, uh, total cart size a discount a volume discount kicked in which is excellent for the vendors and speculators and tcg direct folks that would prefer to focus on the best of the drops this time they seem to have taken that clawed that back and probably because the worst of the last drops sold very poorly now that could be a signal that the worst of the last drops should be kept you should be something to keep your eye on because if they end up being a scarcity play, they could move faster than anticipated. Think about something like Perfection from mm. early on in the Secret Layer thing, where I bought zero because it looked dumb to me. I am love animals, don't care about having pets on my cards at all. But clearly, there is a big segment of the magic market that disagrees, and that has been proven again and again. So, uh, what are we dealing with here? We have a Post Malone official partnership posty of course has been doing all sorts of work with the command zone uh, showing up in magic commercials and here we have his official secret layer now he actually gets two he gets one with basic lands where apparently he has scribbled in the text box um that might be exciting to people that are into post malone Personally, I'm more interested in whether people will care about these being in uh, old border. Like they oh, are they old look... border? I didn't notice that. Yeah, they look like old magic cards. But basic lands are a tough sell, so I will probably steer clear of that one. There's another one that is the Backstage Pass Foil Edition, and unfortunately, I find this art very cringe. Trying to take a real uh, yeah. a real world person and put them into a fantasy setting always feels forced. Like you can just picture how the art direction was like, make Post Malone look cool in a magic card, and the artist is just shaking <laughs> their head like, what the fuck? Like, however, of the three, the best art is on the worst card. <laughs> this is Kirik, son of Yogmoth, as Post Son of Rich, which is like a, a post Malone inside joke that the rest of us have zero reason to care about. Post Citadel, which is a Bolus Citadel, 
uh, version. Unfortunately, there's a promo old border promo foil that has been stubborn to move up in price that is very, very nice, and I would definitely prefer it over this. Guy, like, with his arms outstretched, being, like, with Post Malone supposed to look cool at the front of the stage is just, no. The post-sigil art is just good art, period. The jet medallion art, I would guess, will probably be the most sought-after piece, just because the medallions haven't got a lot of reprints over the years. Well, this is its first time in foil. And, yeah, I mean, first time in foil, and it's a Post Malone drop. So I would be looking at these jet medallions as singles, at least. And I would consider the, the drop biting off a few of these just to see what happens just to keep me in the observer seat paying attention because i'm not convinced that this can overlap the venn diagrams like warhammer seems to be doing fairly well speaking of which there are two no three warhammer inspired secret layers and I think these are largely misses, at least from a card selection perspective, because they chose a very medium set of cards. So they've got Orcs Foil Edition. Fine. Art's solid. Very much on theme for the Orcs tribe, but they never have done anything for me in that game, so I could care less. It's Merciless Executioner, Aggravated Assault, Cranko, Tin Street, Kingpin, Zergo, Helm Smasher, and Sky Sovereign Console Flagship. Based on your comments about flagship earlier, it's between that and aggravated assault to carry that particular drop. And I don't think Sky I mean Sky Sovereign's not uh expensive in base version. So I expect those to start out pretty cheap, but uh if they do, that's when I might look at those to pick up a small brick of if they if they look good, and they seem like they do, but we'll we'll see. Uh but I wouldn't mind having a small brick of those kind of sitting around waiting to to do well in pioneer there's also a war there's also a warhammer age of sigmar drop which is blind obedience danathid compassion paragon Najila the blade blossom scourge of the throne and locks it on warhammer these are again okay all of these cedh play And the question becomes, can Warhammer put these over the top in the same way that, you know, I've made a bunch of money as have many pro traders on Stranger Things Foil Edition, even though those cards are basically forgettable for EDH, but the IP was strong enough to drive demand on them a year after the fact. Yep. So maybe these will get there too. I, I... Anecdotally, I have a friend who I communicate with, eh, you know, every so often, every couple months, but as soon as this set was announced and as the singles have been coming out, he's been texting me nonstop. So there's at least one player out there who generally knew magic existed, didn't play very often that got re-engaged because of the set. It's tricky. The best secret layers, the easiest are the ones where you feel like the cards are either new or have excellent art and are associated with strong IP. So like something like, Stranger Things, because the IP is so big at the time, heading into the last two seasons, felt like a no-brainer to me. The Street Fighter drop felt like a no-brainer. I skipped on Fortnite because it felt like they were way past when, you know, the optimal time to do that drop was. This one is, is tricky because, for instance, the Blood Bowl, the third of them, is Approach of the Second Sun, 
Rewind, Bone Splinters, Fling, Defense of the Heart, and Felwar Stone. Yeah, that one's in, trash. In, in like football themed yeah. stuff. Now, Defense of the Heart is probably an underplayed card in EDH. Uh, it's insanely busted. Like, basically, at the beginning of your upkeep, if any opponent has three creatures, you get to tutor two creatures and put them right into play, <laughs> which is hmm. ridiculous. But it doesn't see that much play in EDH. Uh, it is in, I think the last time I texted, it was sub 10,000. Now it's up to 20,000 because it did catch a, there was a Judge Foil uh, promo floating around. Those are at 72. And the only ever other foil printing it's ever had was the, wasn't Mystery Booster, right? That was non-foil? Yes. So the Urza's Legacy foils, which are very pricey, they're... 200 bucks or something i bought judge foils at 35 in europe and they have doubled up since then so maybe defense of the heart foil with a warhammer theme plus a felwar stone foil is enough to carry this drop they're all a lot of these are right on the border of maybe they'll get there none of them are for sure i should buy 20 of these now there's also if looks could kill which is uh, by illustrator Jack Hughes. Art's amazing. Unfortunately, the cards are very medium. It's a zombie Lady of Scrolls, Liliana of the Dark Realms, Reflector Mage, and Adaptive Automaton. When did Liliana of the Dark Realms get to be $13? That happened. I I did not realize that. Well, and I think the foils are... Yeah, they gotta be decent. Because that's a single printing foil, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was only ever in... Oh, no, twice. M- M13 and M14, they printed it back-to-back, but that's now eight years ago since the last printing in foil. And the card itself is in... Uh, I'm going to guess 14,000. Oh, so close. 13,634. So it's kind of like over the course of a decade, it has put up 14,000 versus your Valakut Awakening being 70-some thousand in, in two years. So it's like a modest amount of EDH play. Um, All right. I don't tri- know. This trivia for you. The Liliana of Dark Realms was in the San Diego Comic-Con 2013 edition, the all black. Mm-hmm. Take a pick. Take a guess of what that costs currently. What the most mm. the one just sold not long ago. So it's actually a real uh, price. I've owned these sets, so I should know know this. I think I would guess 213 eight hundred dollars that is how is lot. that a thing there's a one one sold in uh august one sold in july and all those lists are 750 plus and again that those are pure those are pure collector plays because they are utterly unplayable like if you've actually held one of those black cards in your in your hand or tried to put it table it in a sleeve it's basically just a black slate like you cannot read it it's impossible to read the i just pulled up media promos on tcg player which I didn't even know was a category. Number one is Grimlock, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Number two is Monocrypt, the old uh, promo edition. Uh, Book border. Yeah, yeah, and then it's num- Liliana is number three. Very interesting. interesting. So the, the drop I like the most, that I suspect is the best in terms of art, is this uh, manga artist, Junji Ito who's also got a, I think, Netflix special coming out for Halloween. So it's very well-timed. And 
It has a foil borderless Thoughtseize, and you can buy this either in Japanese or in English. Given his popularity in Japan as a manga artist, the I think the play is probably getting Japanese versions. Because keep in mind that the Japanese have to order these, and I can't remember if they are sourced locally. Like, I don't know if Wizards is sending them to a Japanese warehouse and then distributing from there. They might be doing that, given the nature of the drop, uh, which would end up with more copies in that market because um, shipping will not be as excessive and there won't be import duties. But if I'm wrong about that, and they do have to import them from the U.S., then there will be far fewer of them because the overall price will be crazy. So then you want to be the person that is holding a bunch of these, say, two years from now, assuming that the yen ever recovers. You may be able to sell into the Japanese market again very profitably on these. So I suspect I will pick up... It's funny because you TCG vendors think, oh, foreign cards. But on eBay, I'm like, (laughs) yay, awesome Japanese cards make me money all the time. So I look at something like this, like a foil borderless manga artist Thoughtseize, where it's the like, second most played card in Pioneer or whatever. Yeah, it's only t- top 25 or top 30 in modern these days, but it's still a pretty big card. And then you're getting thrown in a carry-on feeder, a doomsday, and a plague crafter, all of which I would expect to settle in the, I don't know, 5 to $10 range, depending on whether they're, they're foil or non-foil. So this one really hinges on the Thoughtseize and whether there's a bonus of relevance. If it was another Junji Ito card as the bonus, it probably puts this over the top. If it is a random bonus, like a cloud, like a random sliver or something, it may not. Uh, or some crazy, like just basic land they throw in. We won't know till we see them land. And I think I feel pretty similarly about this other artist drop, the special guest Yoji Shin... Uh, Shinkawa, this is a Metal Gear artist, Metal Gear Solid artist, also famous in Japan, uh, doing a like ink, like an iconic ink and watercolor look um, that I'm very familiar with because I have a bunch of these uh, graphic novels on the shelf. And between Ashley Wood's work on this brand and Yoji's, there's a lot of fantastic art that's been associated. And in this case, you're getting pretty solid cards. Probably the best list of cards of any of the drops. Tezzeret the Seeker is excellent in Artifact X and EDH. Phyrexian Metamorph sees tons of play. Skull Clamp, likewise. And this is easily the best Skull Clamp we've ever gotten. And then some of the pro traders said they liked the M21 Borderless Foil Solemn Simulacrum better than this, but I think they're crazy. This quality of this art is far superior. Um... I suspect I will buy some of these. Now, there is some competition here because there's a Surge Foil Skull Clamp out of the Warhammer 40k decks. But because of how much those decks are going for, uh, I don't think that the the Surge Foil is likely to undercut. Currently, you can get those for $30 to $35 on TCG Player, which is nearly the, the value of this whole drop. Uh, so we're almost through. Why don't you take us out with totally spaced out, and then I will jump in with my thoughts on the uh, run of the gambit here. Sure. One more point. The Yoji Shin, uh, Shinkawa can also be gotten in Japanese, and I suspect I will also buy some of those in Japanese. Oh, man. I forgot. There's three more. There's still... 
The, the Space Beyond Stars, the weirdest pets in the universe, uh, and totally Yeah, I'll, I'll jump wow. through them quickly. Space Beyond the Stars foil edition is borderless foils. Excellent art. Su- very high quality art. That is kind of like modern tarot-esque in nature. The artist is uh, Jeremy Solomon. And it's Imprisoned in the Moon, Stasis, Prismatic Omen, and Wheel of Sun and Moon. Which is unfortunate, because if one or two of those had been a big a big deal card, the this would probably have been a grab like that prismatic omen is gorgeous these are all trash right and cars stasis is fun it's a good hate card. imprisoned in the moon is fine and mid-tier edh decks uh i think that the big deal here is prismatic omen because foils of that card uh only exist from Shadowmore. okay and they are in near mint close to Eighty dollars with two copies currently listed, one at eighty-six and one at ninety. Keep in mind that we have Joda in the top five commanders right now and is likely to sit there for a while. And Prismatic Omen solves all your uh, land problems. Yeah, I guess even a basic version is fifteen, sixteen. I didn't realize it was that expensive. So this 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 one hinges on the Prismatic Omen, and when I write up my notes for the the Pro Traders, I will probably be highlighting that I think they've overlooked. The, what is a quite a good-looking Prismatic Omen? Like, I think it's going to look really good in foil. Just this this art style is is uh, very foil-friendly. Uh, but but as with some of the others, as with the Ito drop, you know, that really hinges on the Thoughtseize, that one really hinges on the Prismatic Omen. Anyone who thinks the Wizards doesn't consider finan- like the market prices on these cards is... <laughs> totally right. out to lunch there's a i guarantee you there's a financial analyst that is dedicated to the process of sol- of making sure that the card selections make financial sense yeah this one is the most balanced i think of all the super drops that we've seen everyone has an anchor card for the most part and yeah. they're all relatively good but not excessive value which i think is probably where they want to be in the long term otherwise it's not gonna be sustainable but it also makes it a lot harder to spec on i think people might be sleeping on this weirdest pets in the multiverse foil edition they are borderless foil the art is really high quality um the artist in question is omar rayon um all these really weird kind of surreal portraits of laboratory maniacs stitcher supplier beast whisperer vizier of the menagerie and wood elves all of which see significant amounts like mid-tier amounts of edh play for the most part vizier was a spec at some point on this show but foils have languished around ten dollars or so years later so i don't see any of these being a potential 30 or 40 dollar card probably beast whisperer might have the most potential, but what are the OBF Beast Whisperers going for? Because that would be fairly instructive. I know Science the cheap Re- ones are still cheap. Yeah, sure see, this is this is the thing. The OBF Beast Whisperers from Times Power Remastered are thirty-five bucks, and there's only it, in reality the lowest price near mint copy is closer to forty, and there's only ten listings left. So, in similar fashion, this one may be largely hinging on the value of Beast Whisperer. Now that said laboratory maniac sometimes can be worth sneaky money was last seen in time spell remastered as well and those foils are 26 dollars yeah it just depends on how many sell really if you have a low sell rate these could do okay if a lot of vendors skip some of these medium looking ones 
because one of the things the pro traders have said, and this is very true, is that that advent calendar, $150 for 30 cards, which is five bucks a card, is looking like such a no-brainer that it undercuts this and it undercuts Brothers War and it under like overshadows Brothers War this and the 30th edition packs, which are all almost certainly worse value than that is likely to be. Right. I think it it won't overshadow it because it's going to sell it so quick that no one's going to be able to spend their money on it. <laughs> I guess what I guess here's the thing though. I I'm willing to bet that they have printed about as many of those as they did of the Phyrexian Praetor drop, which was the best-selling uh Praetor drop I think after Stranger Things. And it's now over $100, right? Isn't it? Or close Yeah, to and we knew that, and we knew that there was something like 70 or 80,000 of those printed or something. Yeah. So I, I suspect that there is between 50,000 and 100,000 of the advent calendar, you know, 30 cards for the 30th anniversary drop. And people will get a shot at it, but I think they will be household limited to say two or four copies per household. So, so that what I did for mythic edition one, I don't, I don't know if this is a hundred percent okay or not, but it was all unique buyers. So I think it was, is I recruited 30 people to each be ready and i paid them a commission regardless of i paid them a set fee for showing up and checking in and a a bonus if they were to get the product and deliver it to me and i was able to get several copies of mythic edition beyond my own and i will be doing that this time around i think uh we're recording this i'm putting on record you should buy assuming you know they're, they're gonna reveal it we'll talk about it probably next week or week after but I mean, this this is shaping up to be one of those that, you know, it, it's hard to lose. And even if it's a 20% gain, you know, I'll take 20% all day at volume. So, I mean, that release, we'll talk about it once it gets revealed next week. But yeah. the people said, oh, they showed us the best cards, all the rest will be trash. No, they won't. Right. Not out of 30 cards. If there was five more, the rest might be like very low end. But out of 30, you'll have at least five more really exciting printings in there. And it's going to make that set. And first of all, it's it's the price accessible 30th anniversary thing that's going to have 30th logos and stuff on it. It's just going to be a good collectible, period. Forget that it's got awesome cards in it. So I don't know if you know my story about Mythic Edition. Are you familiar with what I, I did with that set? I think so. So I did the same thing as you, but I went a step further. Okay. I rented copies that other people bought sold them into the market and then got future people at future events that, because the way that mythic edition one was distributed was there was a certain number of copies per GP. Okay. And that went on for a couple months around the world. So I got my first set, I think it was Montreal or something. And then somebody else got me some in the States at, at some point, some guy was supposed to grab a bunch for me and then realized they were spiking. And so he claimed he got zero, but he actually sold them out from under me. All sorts of little dramas. But then once most of that had resolved, but I had people lined up to get me other copies in Europe and and Asia and whatever, I started renting copies, selling them at the current market price before the full supply hit like a month later, and then promised to pay them back the the price that they paid for theirs plus like $25, sold it for like plus $100, and then bought them back at at retail and replaced the copies. (laughs) So I shorted a physical magic project product, which That's was amazing, pretty fun. Uh, yeah, and I agree with you that getting as many copies of the advent calendar is likely to be 
correct. We'll see once we see the final part, the final card list. Now, one last secret layer out of this drop. One one last thing, speaking of shorting, Minsk and Boo Online, everyone was raving about it. It's, the, it's so broken. It's so good. Well, now copies have flooded back in the market. We've talked about it. It went from 100 to now $20. Definitely made 200 bucks shorting Ooh. four copies of that. It was fantastic. Ooh, very nice. All right, final drop in the super drop. Totally spaced out Galaxy Foil Edition. Keep in mind, Galaxy Foils are from Infinity. Uh, these have no relationship with Infinity other than that they are spacescapes. And the cards in question are Ash Barons, Command Beacon, Fabled Passage, and Strip Mine. They're, they want 50 for these instead of 40. There is no non-foil version. Is that correct? I believe so, yeah. Check. Uh, yep, there is no non-foil version. I suspect these are a buy. Because what's going to happen here is a bunch of the Galaxy Foils are going to get very pricey, and these are going to get pulled up by association, in part because of how searching works on major platforms, where if you type in the words Galaxy Foil, these will end up coming up. So and that, yeah. Ash Barons is no big deal, but Command Beacon is a mega staple. Fabled Passage is a super staple, and Strip Mine is a mega staple in EDH. And these are very nice versions of those cards. So I agree on Command Beacon and Strip Mine. Fabled Passage has so many printings. I think it just has a taint around it. Like I don't, I don't think people are. Well, there's to a, pay there's for a really it. nice OBF that's just sitting around, right? It's. Uh, retro frame fabled passages are currently five bucks yeah so but strip mine cheapest version for foil i believe is the um, zendikar rising expeditions at like 25 which is um i think partly because the art is kind of 27 yeah yeah that one's Um, not great and then there's the original zendikar expeditions that go for 87 right so and that has i mean it's a very strong edh demand um the, and the Command Beacon, I looked up the Commander Legends Extended Art Foils. Those are going up for about 15 roughly. So um, I think that's at least initially probably where we'd expect these, unless the Galaxy Foils are even a bigger hit. But, you know, we'll see. I, I, I won't be surprised for this to end up the preferred Fabled Passage. Fabled Passage is S tier for EDH. It's 212,000 decks. So if this is perceived to be the best version of it, it could command 10 to $20, especially if all these products that are kind of hitting at the same time, this might be, and there's a month window to buy for this super drop. Nobody needs to pull the trigger until we've seen what the, how the other, that other, those other things are playing out. We're going to have more information in a couple weeks. So definitely, no matter what you think of these, don't touch them for another 20 days or so. The other thing to point out is not only can you not build your own bundle, but they're collecting all money up front this time. Which I hope oh, also means which I hope also means <laughs> that they are shipping these on time. Because if they're gonna hold our money for six months and bill right away no matter what you order, that is a net negative for the whole program. Um, and it's certainly gonna push more vendors out of position on this product because vendors hate tying up money for six months with yeah. no return. They're I, on a one they're on a forty five day gate cash cycle in a lot of a lot of cases. They are not going to want to commit to secret layers on the go forward if all their money is tied up and takes months to deliver. So I hope this represents, and I guess we'll see, because if if this doesn't land by the end of the year, we're going to know we're being hoodwinked. Yeah, it's that's really interesting. Um, usually they've only done pre-collections for 
I think for uh, the the licensed like the like the forty k product, but it looks like it's for all of them. Um, I hope that's not that, because they they used to do that and they switched away from that um, because of people's complaints. So I'm guessing it's just because this one has so many licenses with forty k and with Post Malone and they don't, and with the maybe with the guest artist. I don't know, but hopefully that's not a thing going forward. So the other thing they're trying here instead is that they don't give you, you don't have to buy one of everything anymore and you don't get the build your own bundle. Instead, they've got themed bundles. So there's a Post Malone bundle and and they're trying, why are they doing this? Because they're trying different things. They want to see what works best. In this case, they're doing bundles at different price points. So there's the Post Malone bundle is 109, which is basically 30 bucks off 140. There's the Warhammer bundle which is uh, $40 off to 10 and includes all the Warhammer stuff in both foil and non-foil. The Post Malone is his two drops in foil and non-foil. Who wants foil and non-foil? That's, it literally makes no sense, except for a vendor. Then there's a big foil bundle, which is all the other drops in, that have foil and foil etched and the Japanese versions in foil. And then there's the same thing, the big non-foil bundle, which is which you can get in regular, uh, yeah. The regular version is both the Japanese and English versions. People are going to get pushed off that bundle if they deal on on TCG because they're not going to want to take on the Japanese cards. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that pushes me on that bundle. Not only do I think this bundle has the best cards overall and the best art, because I'm copacetic with the, you know, you and I just went through what you're getting here. So in the Space Beyond the Stars, we get the Foil Prismatic Omen, and I'm getting it for $24 a piece. That seems very reasonable. The I'm happy to take on the Junji and Yoji uh, English and Japanese versions, because I think those drops are solid. If looks could kill, I'm not thrilled about taking on, so that's a bit kind of a, a bit of a loss leader and the weirdest pets in the multiverse also looks solid to me at 24 so sorry that's the regular pricing in foil i'm getting in getting them for 31 instead of 40 so you're basically paying non-foil pricing for foils that seems fine so i suspect that's the one i'm going to get is the big foil bundle because i only i'm only dubious really dubious about one of the drops and the rest, given the discount down to non-foil pricing, seems like it could be a win. And I, I think those Japanese, the first, this is the first secret layer in a non-English language. And they really picked great artists that are going to be very popular in Japan. These could be, it's possible that those thought seizes are $100 plus cards in Japan. Yeah. Like, I, I keep in mind that there was stuff in Japan from... Strixhaven mystical archives that really caught people off balance. Like uh the art for grape shot. Right. Yeah. Was a and time was a warp, really, right? Yeah. Was a really big like the time warps were over a thousand dollars at one point. And even today, if we look at the Japanese printed versions of the grape shot art, the these would have come out of set booster boxes for Strixhaven that were printed in Japan not out of the collector boosters, which they considered of a lower printing quality. And the 
collector booster foils are 7,000 yen, which is about $52 or something US right now. But once upon a time would have been essentially a straight trade at 70 bucks. And the ones out of the draft and set booster boxes go for 60,000 yen, which is like $450 or $425 or something. And nobody saw that coming. So I think to underestimate what a manga artist thought sees foil borderless could be worth in Japan is probably a mistake. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So top to bottom, let's see. So we talked already about the Post Malone drop. I am higher on that than most because Kirik, uh Son of Yagmoth, has only a judge foil printing and it's currently $300. So essentially it doesn't have a foil version currently. And I don't think the art on that one is terrible. Some of the other ones are a little bit more cringe, but I think the Kirk art is not bad. And it's in 16,000 EDH rec decks, so not insignificant. Uh, and the non-foils are already at 12. So I think uh, between that combined with Jet Medallion is in 30,000 decks, it's never had a foil printing, um, the art isn't bad. I think the foil version specifically, the Post Malone one, could do pretty well. Um I don't think I mean, I'll re- regular buy copies it. of Jet Medallion are thirty dollars plus. Right, at which you know this will insert a lot of copies in the market. It'll probably crash that pretty hard. <laughs> yes, but um, still, because other medallions have gotten secret layer, uh, have gotten printings in other commander decks. Has I haven't look? Has Jet Medallion? Has that been only Commander twenty fourteen? Okay, yeah. So I mean, so it's, it's just a years. supply side thing because um, it's not like. Some of the other medallions where you really need that, um, you know, like blue or red, where they're using them to really go off and combo. I don't think that's as much the case in black. I think it's more of a value thing. But so I like that one pretty well. Um, looking through, you know, one of the cards that struck me is the Lockdown Warhammer. The art on that is beautiful. And this is something that, at least to my knowledge, it really hasn't had a premium art for uh, before. And so that's something, you know, obviously it's a cheap card overall, um, you know, it's a 30 cent type of card, but if you get a premium printing like this, it's the first one people want to upgrade. I could see that being, you know, not crazy expensive, but adding a little bit of value. Um, Yeah, looking through, I agree though, generally speaking, you know, all of these hit that $30, $40 price point for the most part, but don't go excessively above it. And so... Ultimately, I think I'll probably skip most of these um, with just so many other products coming to market. You know, it's I think there's better places to put my money. But if I did buy one, I'd probably buy the Post Malone followed by. Let me look at the full. Oh, and I guess. No, let me look at the full. So the other one that I really like is the. Uh, Yo, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. The skull. Yoji Shinokawa. There you go. I'm I'm not good with pronunciations. So the, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure I'm massacring it as well. Yeah, but sure. That's but as close as I can approximate. All all of these cards in here are solid. So Phyrexia Metamorph, uh, the the all the extended art version that was printed a few years ago has done pretty well. Tezzeret, even the basic versions, thirteen skull clamp. That art is amazing, and the basic version is still pretty expensive for what it is and solemn you know you're gonna get something but not incredible amount i was sure because it's just so widely printed but it is it's just a solid drop that you know i think is probably a single base hit 
It's not going to be a home run, but it's going to be pretty good. The Thoughtseize one, you know, I'll defer to you on the Japanese side, but on the English side, you look at Old Border Thoughtseize from Timesmile Remastered, and, you know, it's pretty much stayed level since it's printing. Um, there's And there's, you know, there's been others. I mean, we have the extended art version from the original Double Masters, and there's just a lot of competition for the Thoughtseize slot. So I think, well, it's, again, maybe like a single type of hit where you're getting value off both Doomsday and Thoughtseize and, you know, maybe a couple bucks for Carrion Feeder and Plague Crafter, and, you know, it's taking it to be a little bit of profit. I don't think... I, w I don't mind this for a personal play. I don't love it for a spec play. Um, so this is one that, you know, I, if I wanted the four copies of Thoughtseize, I'd be in for it. Otherwise, I would probably skip. Um, and, yeah. I, but otherwise, I agree with your assessments. I mean, I think the bundles, if you're confident and you have the outlet, you know, it's not a bad idea. Um, the foils generally on all of these seem like the play, I think, because none of them need the basic version that's like really expensive and so you're kind of relying on the galaxy foils in one part you know the the wildest pets they're all medium kind of cards but you you're hoping for a premium the prismatic ending or prismatic omen like you said is you know very low printing and needs a premium treatment all of the um the skull clamp type of cards you know are all commander cards love the the foil treatment and uh, and the warhammer ones you know they're all just solid but not great um you know so you there those are the ones that you're just going to sell for at cost and be happy with i think people are very low on secret layer foils because a lot of the releases have ended up with the non-foils and foils being worth the same amount um but, yeah yeah go ahead but some of the drops that have done the best have been the ones that have been the most underestimated because they turn into supply-side plays. I think from the chatter I've seen, people are overlooking some of these drops because Wizards has been very sneaky about including some foils that are specifically important, like Jet Medallion, Prismatic Omen, etc. And the art is excellent across the entire drop. There's, I think the posty art, as I said, is pretty cringe. The rest of it is, I mean, all the Warhammer stuff is exactly what you would expect. And if you like it, then you're going to like those. And all the re all the other guest artists are very talented people that have done excellent work. So this, this drop may get slept on, especially if a lot of the people, vendors and speculators and collectors, focus on the $1,000 booster packs or the advent calendar and ignore this. The, the, the fact that the Warhammer stuff was shifted forward six months, I mean, back six months forward to this fall, and the same thing happened with Infinity, has meant that this is the busiest product slate release schedule ever in Magic's history this fall. Um, between the ancillary releases, the uh, secret layer stuff, and the Magic 30th anniversary things. And so that means to me that it cannot all sell at a high level. Something has to give. And I think there might be some opportunities with this super drop that people are are underestimating. And I, I intend to dabble and find out. Uh, looking through, so, I, you know, there's some really good examples of how foils, when they're good, do well. Um, Mystic Remora, we've talked about yep, recently. That's a good uh, one. The, the Rhystic Study, I just checked it's now up to the um, the cheapest 
Near Mint Foil is $46 um, and continues to climb pretty steadily. The non-foil is also climbing for for reference, so um, pretty close there. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I don't think you're ever going to be completely wrong to do non-foil or foil. It really depends on the drop. A good example is the Perfection, which we've talked about. I mean, a very low supply set. Um, I, I bought 20 non-foil and four foils because, of course, that's the one drop I chose to flip my ordering patterns because up until then, and mostly after that, I, I more heavily emphasize foils. And that's the one where the, the foils are commanding a very huge premium. And why? It's because the cards in the set are very generic. They have a lot of printings. They are very cheap. And so people that are buying the cards, they want the premium version because if they wanted to pay, spend less, they would buy the cheap version. And so it's kind of like that. If you have those cheap, you know, uncommon cards or even rares that are reprinted often, they're just out there a lot. People aren't willing to pay as much for the non-foil, I think. Whereas for the foil, if it's a really great art and with, you know, nowadays better foiling process, I think people are willing to pay for it. Meanwhile, if it's just a card that's worth a lot and it's getting reprinted and you're just trying to get the value of the card in general, that's where I think the non-foils do pretty well. And so we're seeing that with like Rhystic Study where all Rhystic Studies are pretty expensive. So the non-foil is pretty expensive um, and people aren't paying for the premium. They're paying for the card, at least for right now, until supply changes potentially. Yep. Largely agree with all that. So uh, you had a final topic of the week. You wanted to talk about recent changes to Magic Online and, and how they are shaking things up? Yeah. So we might have talked about this in the past, but there is a transition happening currently between... So MTGO used to be managed by WotC, of course. And over the last uh, six months or so, they've been transitioning slowly to Daybreak Games. Uh, and so I think we've talked about this, but as a reminder, this is a company that thrives on keeping games like MTGO that have been around for a long time, keeping them running, keeping them going, doing modest improvements, but not complete overhauls, and essentially letting them live you know, their life until they uh, overdo their usefulness and then potentially go away. And so I viewed... For a long time, this transition to Daybreak is a good thing. It is a way to bring a company in that's going to actually focus on MTGO, invest in it, have something, have a you know a focus on it in a way that for Watsi it was just one piece of a big puzzle. And so uh, I bring it up now because the transitioning is really becoming finalized. They're literally moving the data from Watsi servers to Daybreak game servers, uh, specifically the night that we're recording, which is. Uh, October 18th on Tuesday. So when you're listening to this, it'll probably be done. Uh, but during this, they had to shut down Moto. They had to uh, get everything transferred. And now they're slowly easing back into it. And uh, players over the weekend might still see some limitations on what they can do on the platform, which is important. Uh, but with it, and one of the reasons I wanted to discuss it on the pat on the cast is that they're making some changes to the redemption side because of this transition. So previously it was Watsy; they can reprint things, they can do whatever they want, and so redemption always was um, redemption meaning taking cards off the digital platform and turning them into paper products. That was something that was always guaranteed up until a certain timeline. It used to be two years. Uh, a while back they condensed it to about an eight month period. Now that it's with Daybreak, they are just printing a certain number of sets, which is undisclosed, turning them over to Daybreak. And whenever those sets 
are exhausted, you will no longer be able to redeem on Magic Online. Additionally, they increase the costs of redeeming a set by about $25. And so now the total fees to pull a set out of uh, Magic Online is like $45, $50. I can't remember the exact total, but it's not insignificant per set. And so um, there's a question going forward of what does this do to paper pricing? Because there are uh, very, very large quantities of cards being pulled off of Magic Online at every, any given time on a set's release, particularly um, foils. I think historically that was a big supply for foils uh, when there were you know, more few and far between before collector boosters. And so I think going forward, what we're going to see is that um, previously this was a big wave of supply for eight months. All of these cards were pulled out of Magic Online, and then it was shut off, and then there was no more supply. Now, I think for really uh, popular sets with heavy hitter cards, you're going to see Redemption take place early on. You're going to get a bigger wave of cards coming at you uh, because they're, the value's there. And then nothing once that spigot turns off and they've already shipped out all their sets. For the bad sets, for the ones that are um, pretty... Uh, you know, don't have a lot of value, I think it's going to take longer to get those sets pulled out of the warehouse, and the impact on the paper supply is going to take longer and longer, meaning if it's something that takes two years to exhaust, it'll uh, put more pressure on those physical cards over that time period, making them take longer to increase in, in price. And so it's kind of unclear exactly how it'll play out, but uh, bottom line is I do think it will have some impacts on paper. We'll be watching the patterns there. Uh, but what we've seen, at least in the last week and a half, is that because the increased costs of redeeming, they, what's happened is the Magic Online prices have just gotten a little bit cheaper for the current set in Redemption, which is Dominator United. The set dropped about $20 worth of value in a few days after the announcement because presumably the people that were putting together sets said, this doesn't make any sense anymore. I'm not going to put them together a lot of people did that, and all of a sudden the demand was lessened and market forces took over, lowering the prices. So we will be watching that as it goes forward. Uh, but good news, since we've been on the cast, it sounds like the transition is going well. Magic Online is actually back up and running, and it does sound like people are able to make some trades and start uh, testing the new platform. So uh, uninstall Magic Online, reinstall it, because it is a different server, so you have to take it off your system and then reinstall it. Uh, but once you do, hopefully you'll be good to go, and uh, the platform will be running smoothly once you hear this. certainly been interesting over the years to watch them walk back the commitments on magic online it used to be a lot cheaper and a lot easier to get sets and it was a very popular way for vendors to stock inventory specifically to fuel standard singles for quite some time and that was especially true when the availability of cards cashed out for magic online largely mirrored the length of the standard format where i think you had a year and a half or two years yeah um to get cards for many 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 years and i mean my, my dad has a crazy collection of like old foil sets from way back like whatever the first 10 sets were that were available on magic online to cash out when my dad was drafting very heavily he has them and they're sitting hmm. there completely sealed a lot of former watsi employees have those too it seemed like right because they were given the his store. gifts or whatever yep. Yeah, but yeah, they they scaled it back. I mean, you have to think when when this program started, NTFs weren't a thing. Having a digital asset be worth money was not a thing, and so the reason Redemption existed was to give confidence in the platform that 
these things have value too. And as I think the the software has taken a life of its own, as people have gotten used to it, as culture has changed, it's become less and less important. If they pulled out Redemption altogether, I mean, it would dramatically change the game because most of the new cards just aren't worth anything online because you know standard isn't a big deal it's all old cards which is very concentrated value so it would would totally blow up their model but realistically most of the value currently on magic online is in the older cards that you're not redeeming anyway so you know this is addressing the problem of getting new cards into the market having people draft still and value drafting and building a currency for the new sets but um, I don't think it's as much of a fundamental underpinning of the game as it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the long-term perspective here is that at some point down the road, Magic Online and Arena cannot coexist. Yeah, no, Magic but, Online's just going to win the battle. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only reason that it still exists is because the business model is superior with Magic Online. They make more money per user there. And yeah. if if they had hit a certain critical mass <clears throat> that I'm sure they promised internally and never hit for Arena, <clears throat> it could have overcome that. So, like for instance, let's say you have one, you have two options: your business can sell a thousand of something at ten dollars, or you can sell ten thousand of something at five dollars. Well, ten thousand times five is a lot more than a thousand times ten. But if those if those, if it's not quite so clear cut that's how you end up running both simultaneously especially if they believe through market research that people are putting money into both simultaneously (laughs) because when there's full cannibalization tougher choices need to be made for the long term but when there's partial cannibalization or partial overlap and people are putting money into both platforms that's a different story like i think you and i both have money invested in both platforms right like yeah. i i, I yeah. haven't touched magic online in months because i've been playing a lot of arena but for the first couple of years of arena i was definitely on both platforms simultaneously yeah i, I mean arena's problem is that um it, it doesn't have that competitive format yet at least for many players so historic i don't know i don't know what you think about historic i've never been interested in it and um i like standard but i can't i don't play enough arena to keep up with it so when explorer came to magic online i was very excited i actually hopped back on i built a black white or blue white control deck um again control players are smarter and um you know you, you get into it but then eventually it kind of fades right like you go back to where you're used to so i go back to moto uh, because it's easier i can play any deck i want the economy works that's the most important thing is the economy works. So you have bots and you have rental services. If Magic Arena had competitive formats and it had a monthly subscription service to get you all the cards, I would pay it. I would hop on it. That's probably what I would use as a primary platform. But they don't. And their economy is terrible. And Explore is not a real format. I mean, it's fine, but it's, it's not quite there. And they've made it clear that they're going to slowly drain value out of putting it into Moto or into Magic Arena, and it's going to take a year and a half longer. And so it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to wait a year and a half. I'm just going to go do my own thing and come back and tell me when it's done, essentially. Um, but I would love it if they, they made a subscription model. They put on Modern. They put on Pioneer. You could actually have high-level tournaments. They implement observation mode which they still haven't done which makes watching it experience pretty terrible 
Um, you know, there's just a lot of fundamental things that they're not doing that are the bare minimum to be successful, in my opinion, on, on a competitive basis. You know, drafting, yeah. they do well. Yeah, and, and largely because they've figured out that competitive, these, they don't need to focus on competitive. Like they're missing a segment of the market for sure this way, just like they're missing the EDH market by not doing one of two things, either investing to make that work on Arena or doing a bunch of promotional tie-ins with spell table to encourage people to play their real cards online with each other which could easily be just as profitable if it had a monthly service and and good matchmaking i wish Um, i could say it was just them choosing that but the fact that they've had um alchemy be such a flop and a disaster and take so much time i think it's really them putting their resources into products that they thought were going to work and clearly haven't well, yeah, because they, they alchemy is just Hearthstone, but like eight years too late. Hearthstone right. where, yeah, with, with no dusting where you have to pay ungodly sums of money to play non-tested, terrible formats. I mean, who? I, and, and the players don't like it. Even the people that play Arena a lot, like the surveys are just awful of, of it. And I think they're just, they overcommitted to it. They haven't been wanting to backtrack, but I think they're going to have to at some point. Because it, it doesn't make any sense as a format. I mean, as someone who infinite drafts and then usually can can through say two or three uh, gold like climbs to ten thousand gold over the course of about a week playing historic or whatever can then chain together three to five drafts and in that way never put money into their system. Uh, I've been pretty happy with Arena, but that's because I have very specific requirements and goals, and they happen to be able to beat them. Right, but and you're you're it, generating no revenue for them. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, and yeah. they could be charging me a monthly fee to play Spell Table, but they haven't even got their act together on that. They bought it and then did nothing with it, which is just right. ridiculous. Because I can tell you, having used it with the pro traders, there's a ton of potential there that they're leaving on the table completely. All right, I think that's probably a cap for this week. Where can people find you online, Derek? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at Oko Assassin, and I also occasionally write for mtgprice.com. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. We just started hooking up the Pro Traders with a whole new uh, set of gaming uh, supplies vis-a-vis getting people excellent, excellent deals on Warhammer 40k. Not the commander decks the actual models so if you're into that stuff maybe a new reason to check out pro trader and just generally i'd also like to remind our magic focus listeners to check out the mggprice.com pro trader service for just 9.99 a month or 109.99 per year you can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business low-cost group buys and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering once again mtg price uh, mtg fast once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. James, really enjoyed the discussion as always. Thank you, Derek, and I'm sure we'll have lots to discuss next week when we see all of you for another episode of MTG Fast Finance.